right, everybody, welcome back to the West Side Sports Podcast. As always, you're joined by your host, Dakota Ezri, and where this is the second episode of the podcast. First of all, I just want to give a huge thank you to everybody who has been subscribing, hitting the bell, and leaving me comments with, with ratings and reviews. With that getting into it, uh, I got a new set, couple new sections we're going to do for the podcast this week. Uh, we got to do a little around the world. Everything that's going to be happening in the world of sports. Obviously, we had the uh, Kentucky Derby this week. Rich strike, 80 to 1 eyes, an incredible finish. The call was even better. John Morant's knee injury looked dirty. I'm not a basketball fan, but that's a, that's a little bit of gray area right there, if you know what I'm, what I'm talking about. Uh, probable for, for, for game four, he did not play last night. Uh, he is anticipated to play for game five, but we'll get into that in a little bit later on a different podcast. Umpire fiasco at Madison Bumgarner, ladies and gentlemen. This has been an absolute messy, messy, messy situation. He had, uh, for those of you who don't know, there was a situ- uh, first inning Madison Bumgarner starting pitcher for the Arizona Diamondbacks. Uh, it's a part of the uh, per inning in-between check between umpires and pitchers. They check for sticky substance on the hands, stuff like that. Make sure there's no spider tack being used after what was implemented last year. The umpire looked at him. Not like at him, but at like at his eyes, like waiting for him to have contact. Because the problem with the umpires, and I'm gonna touch into this in the little little later part of this podcast today, is the issues with umpiring is a massive, massive problem right now, ladies and gentlemen. There are many umpires, CB Buckner, a- a- Angel Hernandez, that are tainting the game of baseball for their own greedy need to be of power in the middle of all conversation when I, I understand like I've been an umpire back in my little league days granted that's been a little bit of a time ago however but all in all it's pretty blatantly clear that they want the attention they want the limelight you know Ed Hockley back in the NFL days you know with the two with the two size small t-shirt to make his biceps look a little bigger sorry I'm trying to crack a dry joke probably bad timing for it but I couldn't help myself so, yeah, uh, the, the umpire fiasco with Mazin Bumgarner was not great. And then, uh, look, I'm not going to sh- sugarcoat it. Um, we're going to do the Seahawks next. I'm going to finish with the Mariners because i got a lot to get into when it comes to the Seattle Mariners, obviously, for those who have been watching. It's been a painful couple of weeks. So, with that being said, the rookie training camp have happened this week. A couple of takeaways from Pete and John, what they looked at. The tackles look fantastic. They're raving about Abe Lucas. He is a talk of the camp right now. His massive frame, athleticism, massive hands, quick feet, smooth transitions coming off the ball. Looked really great. Ken Walker, and I quote, was a bolt of lightning from Pete Carroll. Uh, Adolfe, uh, uh, Adolfe Owe, who is a player that has been linked in a couple things, uh, trade uh, options with Seattle, is still being rumored. Mafe, our second round pick. I think this might be the best pick of the entire draft. I really do. He has absolute incredible athletic traits. He's so explosive. He has quick step, the burst. I know we hear about this, you know, 150 picks inside of, of the draft. But he's yoked, ladies and gentlemen. He is absolutely cut. Like, I mean, looks straight out of granite. Uh, he's really attentive, listens well to, to the coaching staff. He, um, he's, and then he, yeah, he doesn't just listen. He's applying it. And granted, during rookie minicamp, they're very limited. There's not supposed to be any hard contact. The DBs aren't even supposed to be running or anything right now. They're just trying to see fluidity, 
how well they can run, how well they listen, stuff like that. That's been really impressive. Uh, Tariq Wollin has incredible speed at nearly six foot five. Pete said the four two speed really showed when they had him run. Unfortunately, he's been dealing with a little bit of a sore hamstring, but uh, considering that he is transferring, he's only had 16 total games from DB or from wide receiver to DB, excuse me, kind of like the Richard Sherman. Not saying he's going to be the next Richard Sherman, but it's that same kind of uh, timeline, same kind of uh, change between, uh, excuse me, I'm looking for a change in between your place on the field. So with that being said, I heard a couple things from Clint Hurt this weekend. Uh, Clint Hurt wants to play these younger players. He really does. He feels like uh, the, young, the younger your player is on the field, the more upside it is to mold them into what you want them to be. Not having these older players, more veteran players. And granted, we did go out and sign Artie Burns in the offseason. But what we're looking for right now is we're needing athleticism, speed, young mind, wanting to learn, wanting to like brace this system. Uh, this is completely new to us. This is completely, completely different. We're going to that Denver 3-4 stand-up. We, we, you know, Pete always says we're a 4-3 team with 3-4 principles. I've heard this about a thousand times on 710 ESPN Seattle, not Seattle Sports Station. But with that being said, Ken Norton preferred the older players. Clint Hurts like, we're going to be young, nasty, explosive, fast, straight to the ball. I like it. And Channon Owosu, Daryl Taylor look great. Uh, bringing in Mafe is really exciting for me. I think Quentin Jefferson returning back to our squad is a huge help. Uh, defensive, uh, a defensive back, Justin Coleman's back. He was one of the best nickel corner slot corners in all of football before he went to, to, to the Lions. Took his payday after we won the chips with the dip Super Bowl. And with that being said, that's pretty much what I got as far as Seahawks stuff goes. Uh, they've been talking about a giant nose tackle, but he's just a project, so there's not much to really look into there. He's just kind of a flyer and see what happens. The dude's supposedly like six foot eight, 420 pounds, and I've never seen anybody, including Warren Sapp or Vince Wilfork, be that big. Okay. Mariners time. This is where it gets a little bit hard because it's like, where do I start here? Um, there's so much to really get into. Logan continues to struggle with, with his overall command on pitches. Which is very odd considering that in Minnesota, in his first couple uh, starts there, he was AL Pitcher of the Month because he was allowing walks. He was really attacking that, that strike zone, being super efficient with, with, with his pitch count. He's not doing that right now. And a lot of people are wondering, was it because he's pressing? Was it because he went down to Florida? He's from Florida. All of his family was there. Maybe he's got a little more family pressure, stuff like that, yada, yada, yada. But we don't really know, you know? Seawald had a terrible time for his first allowed hit. Uh, for Manuel Margot for that home run. It was super exciting. That game was crazy with the Jared Kelnick smash. Don't get me wrong. Jared Kelnick has a lot of talent, but we're going to definitely get into him at the end, the end of this podcast today. I got a bunch of stats I kind of want to get into with him. Taro and France are the heroes of, of, of that game. We finally get a win. Uh, we wouldn't be in that position to get the win unless Abraham Toro hit that home run in the ninth inning. Obviously, Ty France comes up with what Ty France does, hits the baseball. He's been on, on a big-time slide recently. George Kirby, ladies and gentlemen, I believe could be the real deal. There was a comp for him with Mark Pryor, a pitcher for the, for, for the Cubs back in the day. Super smooth, super just so explosive. Like the t uh, pitching ninja Rob Freeman on Twitter, for those uh, or on Twitter, that's an outstanding, one of the best Twitter handles in baseball right now is pitching ninja. This guy knows his stuff. He really does. And he's talking about a glove side fastball. 
Now, Logan Gilbert throws the same pitch, but George Kirby produces more spin rate on the glove side fastball. When I, when I say glove side fastball, when, I, when I'm talking about is tail on the fastball at its natural movement. The arm slot you throw the ball from is going to create natural spin rate. And, by, and based upon what arm slot you choose from dictates how, many, how much spin rate is produced through on the ball towards the plate, which dictates the movement, the speed, and you know the rest of all that stuff. Six innings pitched, no earned runs, seven strikeouts. First pitcher in Mariners history to do this in his, in his debut. Super exciting. His fan base, all of his buddies from Stetson, high school, Little League, his mom and dad, family and relatives were there. They were a riot. I really enjoyed them. I thought we need to have them more inside the ballpark. I do. Granted, you know, it's hard to coordinate, you know, 25 plus people getting to the ballpark when you're on the opposite side of the, of, of, of the country. But it's a great showing. I love seeing this where uh, the baseball in general has been doing a great job with focusing on family interactions for players in their first uh, MLB debut. It's fantastic. I love it. Uh, Mitch, grade two hamstring, that's like we, we, we talked about last. The, la the last update on him is six to eight weeks on just pure rehab, on getting it healed before he even begins to go down to AA. That's very frustrating, unfortunately, because obviously we've seen the offense has been stuttering completely. It's really frustrating to watch, especially when we don't know why they're not hitting the baseball like we know that they can. They showed us in the opening homestand. Julio was bumped up from 8th to 3rd in the batting order. He's hitting 310 in his last 16 games. He's absolutely hitting the cover off of the baseball. It's beautiful to see. Flex in on the mound last night versus the Phillies, I'm sure for those who watched, was bad. Uh, I don't know, really know how to feel about Chris Flexen. He's a ground ball, like main-based pitcher, cutter, four-seam, change-up, curve. Very old-school repertoire when it comes to pitches. And if he doesn't hit his spots, it's very hard for him to become consistent. Because if he doesn't hit his spots, like we saw last night, he's hitting up back-to-back home runs. He's relying upon his defense entirely. He doesn't have true strikeout velo pitches. He's just going to frustrate you, kind of like what we saw from Ranger Suarez from the Phillies last night, who was completely frustrating to watch because he's not that good. His stuff, he doesn't have any plus pitches. Uh, excuse me, the only plus pitch he has is his changeup. That's it. That is not acceptable. And Scott said last night, we just didn't show up to play. Our own, our own coach is like, yeah, we just didn't show up to play last night. And that's frustrating. You know, it's been a uh, obviously a very frustrating couple of weeks watching what's been happening with the team. We can't hit the baseball. Four out of five out of six starts for Chris Flexen, he has had one run or less accumulated, which is un inexcusable. The offense's job is to hit the baseball. Obviously, you don't hit it. You just don't grab a baseball bat, not to swing and hit and hit the ball. You're professional athletes. I recognize that there's pressure, but you chose to do this to do this job. You're in a professional stadium with thousands and thousands of fans. And don't get me wrong, there's pressure. Yeah, there's pressure. But pressure usually makes incredible moments. It makes these athletes perform better. And right now, we're just not performing. Last night, no, we, no runs. It's Again, this is the same running issue over and over and over again. Kyle Lewis continues to hit the ball well in AAA, which is a great sign. I've seen a lot of people on Twitter being like, we need to call up Kyle Lewis, call up Kyle Lewis. Well, you can't do that right now. 
Because if you do that and you rush him, then you're opening that door to what you worked so hard to close on with making sure that he is 100% healthy. So when he returns back to this team, he is what the rookie of the year Kyle Lewis was in 2019 when he was tearing the league up. He was on fire. He was playing great defense. And it was it was so much fun to watch. It really was. You know, there was a, a player back in the name named Adam Jones who was very similar to Kyle Lewis. Long, lanky, smooth swing, good runner. But obviously it's been frustrating because he can't, you know, we can't rush him back up because Kelnick isn't hitting. Winker isn't really hitting. So with that getting into, I got some stats for you guys, right? I know sometimes stats can be boring, but this is kind of a, a telltale sign of where we're at. I'm going to go from the bottom up so people understand where I'm coming from when I say offensive struggle is a real problem. And then we're going to get into the end of wrap-up of uh, today's episode. Cal Raleigh, ladies and gentlemen, is hitting 0-69. That's, no, we're not playing bingo. That's his batting average. That's not acceptable. It really isn't. Next in line is Jared Kelenic at 146. He's been incredibly frustrating. I don't know what his issue is. I don't I don't know if he thinks that he's so great that he's so he's focusing on his hair staying in place more than hitting a baseball. But this is the problem with Jared Kelenic. He gets in his head, he goes in the offseason, he goes and pumps the weights thinking he's gonna be a running back for like the Seahawks on a tryout a tryout audition. And then he remembers I'm a baseball player. You know, he worked out with uh, Cardinals great Mark McGuire. And, I mean, that speaks for itself. Marky was incredible. But he was in, he was full of steroids. Yeah, he was a great player. He was a great ambassador for, for the St. Louis Cardinals for many years. But Jared Kelenic is not Mark. He's not. I always comped him to uh, Matt Holliday, who played for the Colorado Rockies and for, and for the Cardinals. Uh, outfielder, tons of power, moves well, good arm. But Matt Holiday had to figure out that how to play baseball. And I know that kind of sounds funny. Well, how do you learn how to play baseball? You've been doing this for your whole life. Well, when you come with expectations, when we traded Robinson Cano to a, to get Jared Kelenic, there was an understanding that Jared Kelenic, you know, he was posting videos up of hitting a baseball off a tee and hitting a frisbee in midair because that's super impressive. Well, yeah, that's cool to see. But then how does that translate on, on, onto the baseball field? His career batting average is 172. That's not good enough. It just isn't. It's so frustrating. He's not having competitive, smart plate appearances. Him or Cal. Cal Raleigh should be set back down immediately. The problem is Luis Torrens. We're going to get into him in a second. Actually, speaking of uh, Luis Torrens. Abraham Toro, 160. Luis Torrens, 163. Dylan Moore, 192. This isn't good enough. It isn't good enough. I know baseball's offense is down all around the league, and I get it. I get it. It sucks. No one wants to talk about that we can't hit the baseball because we, we see it on the screen almost every year, almost every day, excuse me. But that's the problem, ladies and gentlemen, is that we're seeing this over and over and over again, and nothing is changing. Nothing is changing. So why we ask, why isn't it changing? Is our the control of the zone, CTZ? Uh, we still, we're, you know, our walks are still good. We're still in the top five percentile, which is great and dandy. But you can walk all you want, but unless you get the, the guys on base and actually do something with those walks, like we like we've been doing, getting two runners on, I don't know how many times, two or three times last night, and we just whiff, ground ball, pop out, 
You know, you can't leave 10 runners on in scoring position and not get it done. It doesn't work like that anymore, unfortunately. You know, it's super frustrating. I don't understand why it is what's happening. I don't know if it's a, you know, they're just trying to press too hard. I mean, Jesse Winker and Eugenio Suarez are both hitting 200. Jesse Winker is supposed to come into, into Seattle and change life. You know, I hate to put it that, you know, abrupt, or, you know, abruptly or that harshly, but that's what I'm here for. This is what I do. These are the facts. You're hitting 200, Jesse Winker. Suarez, that's kind of what I figured. I called him a right-handed Kyle Seager, and Kyle Seager was about a 200 hitter. He hit a bunch of bombs, played some decent defense, couldn't run for anything, but that's about it. You know, Jesse Winker's supposed to come in, hit 25, 30 home runs minimum, 85, 90 RBIs, a productive bat. His arm in the outfield is terrible. They are taking advantage of him constantly. I don't know if he needs to, you know, work with Perry Hill, who's our in, our, our infielder coach, best in the league, Perry Hill, and be like, hey, how'd you help J.P. Crawford build, build up his arm? Because whatever Justin Winker needs to do, he needs to do it right now. It's very simple. He's not hitting the baseball well enough. 200 is a lot better than when he was a, a couple weeks ago. There's no power coming right now. These are all little scrap hits, doubles, dinky little little hits and whatnot. And when, you know, it hits a hit, as they say. But it doesn't get us anywhere. Because Jesse Winker gets on bases like I was talking about, and we do nothing about it. We can't score the runs. We're leaving six, eight, ten plus runners on in scoring position per game. And we're not doing anything with it because this lineup has holes, right? And I'm going to get into the lineup saying holes here at the very end of this podcast on, on the wrap-up, which actually we're going to start right now. Time for Castillo to go. Diego Castillo is not competitive. I can see why Tampa Bay got rid of him. You know, I can see why they did what they did because, yeah, he still has three years of club control, but what the heck are you going to do with him? He can't throw consistently. He's more focused on his chains around his neck than he is throwing a fastball. He's been getting teed off for the last week straight. He's never looked competitive with us. It's either he's super on or he's so far off. You don't even, I don't even know if it's even within question to ask if he can get back on. And it's been like this for the last week or two. I don't understand what his problem is. But Castillo has to go because this bullpen was the backbone of our team last year. We gave the ball to Seawald, Steckenrider, and Sadler. The loss of Sadler is killing us right now. Super, super hurting us. A lot. Because he was that bridge guy. We bring him in the sixth inning. He'd give us an inning and a third. Give it over to Steckenrider. Steckenrider didn't have to face the middle third of the lineup. He'd face the end third. He could do his job accordingly. And then you give the ball to the Seawald, and the rest is history, right? Jerry specifically said on Seattle Sports Station a year and a half ago that the timeline for competitive baseball was 2022. That was the exact year that he said we were going to start, quote, being competitive and being in the playoff hunt. 2023 was the year he guaranteed we would make the playoffs. Some didn't matter how he would do it, we would be a playoff team. He said that to Mike Salk in the morning. We don't have a catcher that fits that timeline. I talked about Cal Raleigh, I talked about Luis Torrens. We don't have a, and Murphy, bless his heart, I hope you rehab well. I don't want you to rush anything, Murphy, but damn, do we, do we miss you? Um, he has a separated left shoulder along with left shoulder tendonitis and heavy inflammation due to the injury. It doesn't look pretty. 
Cal doesn't fit the timeline because Cal can't hit. He's not. I don't think he's going to be able to figure it out in the next two years. That's my own personal opinion. His stats, his bad, his plate appearances is not competitive. He doesn't look professional. He looks lost. He looks frustrated. Harry Ford is two years out. He's our top catching prospect by far. Noelvi Marte, our, probably our number four top prospect, or now three because Kirby got promoted up to the big leagues. He's still two years away. He's still in Everett. He's in single-A ball. So that's, that's going to take time. There's no update on Everson Hancock or Sam Carlson, two of our other top pitching prospects. Levi Stout continues to be decent. I don't think he's going to be great. These are all prospects in our system that I've been uh, uh, keeping an eye on recently. Kyle Lewis continues to hit, just like I mentioned earlier. Has a lot of work to do still to get ready for the big leagues. Robbie Ray versus Aaron Nola tonight. Robbie Ray, we paid you a lot of money, man. We did. We paid you $125 million. Because you were the reigning defending Cy Young pitcher. And you haven't looked like it. Last start was better. I'll give it to you. It looked better. But it's still not Cy Young, Robbie Ray. And we knew, you know, back-to-back -back years of Cy Young, Lesher, Jacob, you know. You know, the infamous Jacob deGrom of the, of, of, of the Mets. You don't have back-to-back -back Cy Young pitchers in baseball. This doesn't happen because pitchers are, I always term fluky, but they're hard to be consistent when it comes to production and output at high elite levels. You look at guys like Max Scherzer. Uh, you know, I talked about Jacob, Corbin Burns. Uh, you know, uh, Chris Bassett, Frankie Montes were kind of close to that range, not as close, you know. Obviously, Shohei Otani, Noah Syndergaard. There's a list of pitchers that are in that elite, elite, elite top pitching uh, arsenal in that, in that level. And the problem is right now, we're relying too much on our young kids to perform like, like these other pitchers are doing. Logan's doing his best, ladies and gentlemen, to do, give us everything he has on a nightly basis. But we're relying too much on him. George Kirby comes up, has an outstanding outing like I touched on earlier, but you're going to rely upon him to do that? That's the same pressure you put on Jared Kelnick last year when he came up and he went all over 46. You know, now Julio's coming up. They bumped Julio up to the third part, third spot inside the lineup because they're desperate to figure out what is wrong with the current lineup. There's holes all over the place. People aren't, you know, one, I can see here, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight players are not hitting the baseball well enough. Our top three hitters are Tom Murphy at 303, Ty France at 311, and JP at 340. France has slid 46 batting average points the last week and a half. He's not hitting the ball well. Murphy hadn't had a hit in six games in a row. He was sliding hard. It's been a rough ride this last week, ladies and gentlemen. And I know that the, these, these podcasts sometimes can get a little bit punctual, and that's what I'm here for. I look at this in a non-fan perspective. I go analytics strictly. And uh, with that being said, that's going to be today's episode. I'm trying to make these a little bit longer. Sounds like you guys want a little bit longer of a podcast, so I'm working on length. If you guys like the length, like uh, have any more topics you guys want me to cover, please drop it down in the comments selection. Thank you all so much for listening. Go Mariners and Robbie Ray. Tighten them pants up, and I want some extra grunts because see us rise. We need a dub. Thanks, Sam. Thanks, guys. We will catch you next week. See ya.